If you were with us last week as we journeyed through Acts chapter 23 and we talked about God's providence, His divine plan, that there's a God who not only foresees but that He is actively involved, that His scene involves action, there's intentionality, there's a God who is indeed directing the order of things. And, and so this morning we're going to look a little bit, continuing that, that, that focus or that mentality as we come um, in Acts chapter 24 into uh, chapter 25. And we're going to be looking a little bit more this morning at the practicality of God's providence. Again, we talked about it last week that at times when you think about God being in control, that sometimes it th- may, the tendency becomes like, well, if God's so in control, then does it really matter what I do? Is, is life even, I mean, is it, do I, am I making any real decisions? And, and so this morning we're going to look at the practicality of that providence. The fact that God's providence does not indicate that you and I should sit on the sideline and do nothing if God's going to do what He's going to do, and His plan is going to be done, and Thy will is going to be done, then maybe I shouldn't do anything. That's not the example of Scripture. So let's look at that this morning. Acts chapter 24. As you make your way there, I'm going to throw just a couple of Scriptures. Um, I've got some of these there from the Desiring God website. They just had a list uh, of some Scriptures, and I thought they were very applicable um, to the text we're looking at today. And so um, one of those, Matthew 10 and 29, are not two sparrows, are not two birds sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. It says that even the death of birds, God's in charge. God is watching over. You think, well, maybe birds don't matter or maybe livestock or animals or all that. But it says, in fact, God cares about them. He's watching over them. And it says when they die, God shows up and he reads the obituary. God cares even about the birds. And so Jesus' example is, are you not much more valuable than they? How much more will God care about you? Proverbs 16 and 33, you heard this last week. It says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Psalm 44 and 11 tells us that you have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. God is even in charge of the slaughter of His people. Further with me, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. You wonder at times, who's in charge? Is ISIS in charge? Are they in charge of North Korea? Is Trump in charge? Like, who's, who's doing all this? Who's directing the affairs of the U.S., the world, humanity at whole? Well, Proverbs tells us that the king's heart is actually a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it or directs it wherever he will, that God's actually in charge of what's happening amongst the nations. Further with me, First Samuel chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, the Lord kills and brings to life. That God is in charge of life and death. He brings down to Sheol to the grave and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. That God is in charge of finances, gains and losses. Again, this is a big view of God and I know it's hard to deal with. And we talked about it last week. This is not a sippy cup type of message. Um, This is meat and potatoes. We're dealing with some real deep doctrinal truths of who God is. And then we come to this. It kind of sets the, the, the barometer of where we're headed um, in, in this series of messages. First Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer. Look what he says there. They suffer according to what? God's will. That God's will and suffering are connected. So what do we do with that? Well, Peter says that in the midst of that, what we should do is... We should entrust our souls to a faithful Creator. And then look what he says here. So we're going to close. While doing good. He says that we should, in response to the fact that there's a God who is over everything, even you and I suffering, 
That there's times, obviously, we won't understand it, but he said, I want you to realize that your suffering is not haphazard, it's not accidental, that there is a divine plan in the midst of the suffering that you and I are going through. And what we should do in the midst of that is entrust our souls, to entrust our care, to say, God, I may not understand this, I may not like this, God, I would not have ever have chosen this path, but God, I'm going to entrust that you are a faithful God and creator, and I'm going to keep doing good. I'm going to keep following you, Lord, even though I, what, through the valley of the shadow of death? I walk. Careful. The tendency in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death is stay way too long. You might want to make your, your bed there. You might want to lie there. But we walk through that valley. Why? He says, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, this faithful, good, shepherd, loving God is with us. And so we continue to walk and follow him. So I want to share with you three things this morning about the practicality of God's providence. Here from Acts chapter 24, verses 25 through, 20, uh, through tw- chapter 25. And so the first one is this. God's providence promotes practical living. God's providence, His being in complete control, promotes actually practical living. It doesn't give us the freedom. We hear this again. This God's providence that He's in control. It does not give us the freedom to live any way we want. We are called to respond to who this God is. Well, here in Acts chapter 24, we'll pick up a little bit of the text, but Paul is being brought to charge. Um, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm not going to have every bit of it on the screen, but um, they, 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 they accuse him, verse 5, they say, this man's a plague, he stirs up riots, he's a ringleader of the Nazarenes. They're really upset that he's profaned the temple. You remember that they were accusing him of bringing Gentiles into the temple where they weren't allowed, and, and so they're trying to get Paul killed. And so Paul comes now before the governor, Felix, and he says to him, when he gets the nod to speak, says, hey, Paul, it's your time. Verse 10 of Acts 24. He says, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it's not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. He's affirming the Old Testament is indeed the Word of God. And as New Testament believers, we do not reject the Old Testament. Okay, I I know there's a tendency to do. There's a guy by the name of Marcion back in church history that he believed it was two different gods. There was one God that oversaw the Old Testament, this God of seeming wrath and anger. And then there's a new God in the New Testament. But in fact, Paul is again affirming it is the same God that we are worshiping. We worship the God who who inspired men to write everything there in the law and in the prophets. And so he's affirming that indeed the Old Testament is still just as valid as the word of God. Indeed, it's come to its fulfillment in Christ. But we reject not the Old Testament or its teachings. And then he says this statement here, verse 15. He says, Having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Paul is doing something here that's very important. He says, Listen, guys, there's a resurrection coming. It's for the just and it's also for the unjust. For those who will be condemned in God's presence because they will stand guilty in their sin. And for those that have been just, they've now been justified by Jesus. They've been declared innocent because of his life for them. And so look what Paul says. Here's what I do in response to this. See this. These are clues. So, right, you may see the word therefore, because, depending on translation that you have. But you're going to see words like this. tells you why does Paul live this way? Why is he following this life? He says, so, 
I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. What's Paul doing? Paul looks to the end and says, guys, there's judgment coming for everyone. And because there is judgment coming for everyone, I'm going to be faithful. This clear conscience, he says, I want to be able to stand before God and say, God, I was faithful to warn my co-workers, my fellow tent makers. It would have been Paul's, that was his profession. Paul was be able to stand and say, I, I can share with my fellow friends and neighbors. I, God, I can stand before you and tell I've warned them Others in my family, God, I've warned them. I have a clear conscience. Why? Because, God, I know there is a resurrection coming. There is a judgment coming for all people everywhere. Man, woman, boy, girl, everyone. No one's excluded. No one's hidden. And he says, I want you to know I, I make it my aim. I take these pains, he says. I make it my life's labor to share with everyone. So there, again, we have it. Paul is saying, listen, guys, just because God is in control, just because God is guiding affairs, does not mean that I show up and say, well, it's no big deal. I don't have to really share with anyone. God's going to do what He's going to do. God's in control. No, Paul is saying, listen, guys, in, in the beauty of seeing God in control of His providence and all that God's doing, I still have a responsibility to share with anyone and everyone the good news about Jesus Christ. And he says, I am testifying to them Hey, listen, there's only one way to be right with God. And so God's providence promotes a practical living of sharing the gospel daily. It should be your daily practice. And Paul is laying that before us. Secondly is this. God's providence also warns us of the danger of delay. The tendency again can be that, well, if God's in control, then you know what? I'll just do it whenever I guess he decides I'm going to kind of do things. And so I don't need any kind of response. And I can just kind of put off salvation or responding to what God's calling me to do when I get ready. That's not the example of Scripture. Look at me if you would. Back here in Acts chapter 24. Verse 22, he speaks further to Felix and he says, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying... When Lucius, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. And then he gives the order to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Look what about this life of Felix here. Felix, again, is the governor. He says that he has a rather accurate knowledge of the way. He knows about Jesus. He's heard about Christ. He has a rather accurate knowledge of it. But watch what he does. This is interesting. He puts them off and says, guess what? When? When the time comes, I'll get ready. This is not the example of Scripture, brothers and sisters. The example is, listen, it is today is the day of salvation, Second Corinthians 6 and 2 would say. That you and I be, war be warned and weary of the danger of delay in responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This man knows about it. He's, he's accurate knowledge of the way. But he begins to put them off. And James, similar, he warns us. He says, look what he says, James 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? He says that we are but a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time and then what? Vanishes. He says, your life is just, guys, it's here for a little bit and it's gone. Instead, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you're boasting in your arrogance. You think you're in control of life, James says. Guys, we are not in control. 
You believe you're going to live to be 85 or you believe that you're going to do whatever. James is warning us we are not in control. It is indeed determined of the Lord's will. So we ought to be humble. We ought to realize that today is indeed a gift. It is precious. And therefore we ought to be very responsive. But the tendency is, even amongst that, you hear it and think, that's all right, Blake, that doesn't really apply to me. I know that I'm going to be one of those statistics that helps move the mean age more and more up, longer and longer. Look what happens here with Felix. After some days, verse 24 of Acts 24, he says, After some days, Felix came down with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak. If you ever wonder, I wonder what Paul was talking about. Well, Paul was speaking here, it says, about... Faith in Christ Jesus. He reasons about righteousness. And you think, well, what does righteousness and faith and all of that have to do with anything? Paul says in Philippians 3, I believe one of the more important passages we have in the New Testament. He says that I don't want, guys, I can't have a righteousness of my own. Like this holiness before God. Like I can't stand before God, he says, on my own by obeying the law. He says, therefore, I now have a righteousness that is by faith. It is in Christ alone. He says the righteousness that is is before God by you being good enough, like you living a good enough life, he says that will never meet up. This was Paul who made it his aim to obey the, the, the Old Testament law the best he very could. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, I was just so strict about God's word. I was persecuting Christians to death. I thought they were abusing who God truly was. They were lying about who God was. That's how passionate he was. And yet he says... All of that was literally, he calls it, dung. He says all of that was rubbish. It was dung. It was filth. That will never, ever meet up to God's perfect standard. And so Paul is there and he's pleading with them about faith in Christ Jesus and righteousness that does not come through obeying the law good enough or coming to church enough or giving enough or bringing enough water to cow days or serving long enough. He says the only thing that will make us righteous before God is Christ and faith and trust in Him. He talks to them about self-control. And again, a common theme for Paul is the coming judgment. Felix is alarmed, the text says. And look what he says to them. Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. He says, when things get convenient for me, I'll call for you back, Paul. That's the danger. And hearing the gospel, I, I, I've shared with you guys many times. And, um, but back in 05, I guess, 05, I was um, in the rainforest of Costa Rica. We had marched, uh, probably marched. It was feeling like marching. We had hiked. Um, there in the mountains, we were right in the, the threshold of where Costa Rica and Panama meet. And um, so there was a question of what country we were still in. We weren't really sure. We were just in the middle of rainforest. And we get there to this guy that we're not sure has ever heard the gospel once. I mean, he lives in a hammock. He's got just uh, he's got a hammock he's laying in. And I mean, it's some chickens around and there's just sticks. And that's it. I mean, this guy literally we hiked eight hours to get to where this guy was. We share the gospel with him. Maybe the first time he's ever heard it. And the response comes back, manana, tomorrow. 
So some of us hear the gospel and we think, I'll tomorrow. It's the same response. Whether you live in the rainforest or you're here in the middle of Greensburg, KY, Satan will tell you tomorrow. Get things right tomorrow. Start living for the Lord tomorrow. You'll clean that up tomorrow. You'll stop doing that tomorrow. Friends, I want you to know from the gospel witness that tomorrow will not come for everyone. It is today. It's this hour, Jesus says in Luke 16. He says, you fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Quit thinking you have more time. God's providence warns us and compels us. It's now. It's today. So it was with the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people have been delivered from Egypt and they've walked through the Red Sea when God parts the waters. They've seen manna, the literally this bread come down from heaven. God has provided for them, provided meat for them. And, and God has been so faithful to keep providing for these folks what they need. And now God's calling them to go into the land of Canaan, the promised land. This land that flows with milk and honey. And so they call one person from each of the twelve tribes to go. And, and they go. And the text picks up that these spies that come back, how many brought back a bad report? Do you remember? Ten, didn't they? And two, Joshua and Caleb brought back a good report. And they're beginning to have this discussion about what's happening here and what they should do. And it's interesting. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 4, the Hebrew people say, you know what we need to do? Let's get us a new leader and let's go back to where? Egypt. Let's get a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. Why? Because they want a better opportunity. They're looking for a better opportunity. They've just seen a God who's delivered them out of 400 years of slavery. A God who has just parted waters. A God who has just wiped their enemies out in the sea. A God who's rained down food from heaven. A God who has just provided for all their needs. And yet they walk into this land with these giants and they say, we need a better opportunity. This is not the time. That's what Felix is doing. Go away for the present, he says. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. But... The writer of Hebrews warns us these people back in Israel are a warning to us today to be careful of the danger of delay. Look what he says, verse 15 of Hebrews 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Notice what it says there. They hear and yet they have rebelled. And you say, well, who are these people? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? They've seen the great acts of God, he says. They've heard the good news that there is an almighty, awesome, powerful God. And yet they rebel. They refuse it. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So, look what he says we see that they were unable to enter because, right? He's telling you why. Because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. That you would refuse the gospel of Jesus Christ today. These folks have heard and seen. He says, listen, it's no different back there with the Israelites as they were journeying to their promised land. They saw the great works of God and yet they rebelled. They, they were disobedient. They did not believe that God was able. He says further to them in verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them. Look, he says, guys, we're like them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not, look what he says, united by faith with those who listened. 
He says, we must believe on this gospel. It is not simply enough just to hear the gospel that Christ died for your sins. You must put your faith and trust in this. You must believe today. You must respond to Jesus Christ. You are either making a decision to reject Jesus Christ or you're bowing your heart in life, confessing Him as your Lord and Savior. There's only one of two options, friends. There are no other ways. had a discussion over cow days about those who are out preaching that there are other ways to heaven or that all roads lead home or because God is a God of love that in the end, even though you may be judged for a while in the flames of hell, that God will in fact raise you up, that you will somehow... That is not the teaching of Scripture. Hebrews 9 and 27 warns us that we are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It is a judgment which no man or woman, boy or girl, will ever be able to escape. It is eternal and forever. And the only way to be pardoned or rescued from that is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Only His sacrifice for our sins. So thirdly, God's providence precedes man's counsel. This is practical. Why? Because some of you are, have been there and you thought for certain that job was for you. You That door was open. It looked perfect. It lined up. And for whatever reason, the door closed on that job or that situation, that moment in life, and you're left scratching your head saying, what? And you, you can't figure out because it appears that this council, this group, this ruling board, whoever made this kind of decision, they directed this moment or whatever. But I want you to see in the midst of this, even again, it may be hard to understand why. We may not have clarity at this moment in life. But we can see that God's providence precedes man's counsel. Watch this. Look at this right here. Uh, I know time's moving, so I'll just kind of summarize just for a moment and kind of jump to it. Um, they try to set up a plot again. They're, they're wanting to kill him. All right, So they're trying to get Paul back to Jerusalem there in verse 3. They want to ambush him. They want to kill him on the way. Um, further, he comes in verse 7 of Acts 25, and it says, When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They bring many, many and serious charges against him that they can't prove. Paul argues in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Again, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem? Do you see it happening? Continually, time and time again, they are trying to get Paul killed. They're trying to end Paul's life. And this is where you and I have to sit here on this precipice and watch and see in Paul's life and realize there is a God who is guiding and protecting Paul and that God is my God. He's watching over me. He's protecting me. Even though I may not like my circumstances, even though I may not have chosen this moment, there's a God who is watching over me, who's protecting me, just as it was with Paul. And so Paul says, well, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. And then this verse 11, if then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charge against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to who? Caesar. Then this statement here, this is where I want to kind of capture your attention just for a moment. Verse 12. Then Festus, Festus, who is the governor, he confers with his council. So it appears, if you watch just from the text of Acts chapter 25, verse 12, you hear that and assume that obviously... He is in charge. Festus, the governor, the council is in charge. They're making all the decisions here. And look what he says. Answers, well, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. 
But what we know is that Acts 23, again, verse 11, lies behind this. And it was several chapters back when God came to visit Paul in the night. He says in verse, Lord, uh, verse 11 of Acts 23, and he says, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so also you must what? Testify about me in Rome. And so we see this, and again, we wonder, if you just look, uh, just a quick glance, you think, well, obviously, Festus and the council are in charge. But back here in Acts 23, 11, we know the truth that actually God is in charge and he's already told Paul he's going to Rome. And Paul's going to end up in Rome. Why? Because God's providence precedes even the counsel of the governor and these other rulers. That's how great and awesome he is. That's what compels you and I to trust him even though we walk in the times often of darkness in the valley of the shadow of death. We can't understand how this could ever be God's will or His plan. But the more we begin to know about God, the bigger view of God we have, the smaller view we have of this world, we realize our God is so much greater. He is so much bigger. We know that God is faithful. He is guiding and leading our lives. Even when we don't like it or even when we're not sure exactly where this road leads. This past week, I read in, in my Bible reading, I came to Psalm 57. And in verse 2 it says, I cry out to God most high. Look what it says. To God who fulfills His purpose for me. God is the one who is fulfilling His purpose. God is leading and directing. He says, listen, it's not mine. It is the work of God. So I want to close this morning with giving you and I an example from about the life of Christ that points to the reason of why we can trust God. Of realizing that God is indeed good, that He is ruling and reigning, that He is over all. And even when we don't understand it, Christ's life compels us to trust God's path for our lives. So let's look for a moment as we close. Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Him you have redemption. It says, in Christ, you have been bought back from slavery. You have been redeemed. You were enslaved to sin, but in Christ, it says, you have been ransomed. You have been set free. Just like the Israelite people were delivered out of bondage and slavery to Egypt for 400 years. It says, for those that are in Christ, we have been delivered from the bondage of obeying our flesh, of doing whatever we feel like in that moment. When we're mad, we want to hit something, then get mad and hit something. You want to go on a rage? Go on a rage. You want to spew that out of your mouth? Go out of your mouth. You want to satisfy your lust? Satisfy your lust. But the Spirit of God says that is not the way for those that are in Christ. You have died to sin. How should you live in it any longer? Christ's power comes. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespasses, literally, when you... You know the word trespass most likely. You shouldn't go there, and guess what? We intentionally go there anyway. That's all of us. No matter how good you think you are today, you have trespassed God's law. You say, well, Blake, I've not done things like other people. Careful. You see, God's law is not simply, Jesus reminds us when He shows up on the scene in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through it's not simply that we have not just disobeyed God's law outwardly like He says, don't lie, and we lie. Jesus reminds us that God who said don't commit adultery... Jesus says, well, I'll tell you the truth. If you've lusted after someone where? In your heart, you've committed adultery. See, Jesus says, listen, guys, the danger is as you look at God's Word and you think that outwardly you're pretty good. The problem is, is God's not just looking at your outward actions. He's looking at the inward motives. 
There's no one's heart that's going to escape that judgment. We are all guilty. So we are in desperate need of the riches of His grace. We are in desperate need of His forgiveness and the love that God would have that He would cover over all of our sin and shame. And it's only through the life and blood of Christ. You say, well, Blake, what's this have to do with God's providential plan? What's this have to do with what God's doing? Look what he says here. A couple of things. Beginning in verse 8. It says, Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He says, this didn't happen by chance. Christ's life and his death for your sins didn't happen by chance. Your forgiveness, this is not by chance. All wisdom and insight. Look at it, it says, making known to us the mystery of what? His will. This is God's will, guys. He says, look at it further. further look at it, he says, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He says, listen, the tendency is to look at all this and wonder, well, I assume that maybe, I guess, Jesus' just life, it just kind of happened by chance. And the fact is that I, I'm here today and that I'm a follower of Christ is kind of all by chance. He says, no, listen, guys, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, God's great divine plan, it's according to His wisdom and His insight. It's according to God's will. It's according to God's purpose. This is, verse 10, God's plan. God is in control. It's not haphazard, isn't by chance. God is directing the affairs of men. And look what he says here. In him. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him we have an inheritance. Your inheritance is in Christ. He is by grace gained through his suffering. That God, who is a just God, would be pleased to look on his son and pardon you and I. It pleased God. He is a just God. He is a good God. He will let no sin pass. And it pleased Him to look on His Son, to realize that, listen, Jesus, He's dying as if He lived your life. That by His grace and by faith and trust in Him alone, you can stand before God as if you lived His. It's the grace and kindness of God. He says, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance that will never, ever end, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him. Look what it says here. Who works some things? No. Most things? No. All things according to the counsel of His will. That God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. And there may be moments when we don't understand what God's will is and what His plan is and how this could ever unfold. But let's be honest. Again, I know I shared it last week, but the good news is, guys, we may not like God's plan of suffering for us, but deep down inside, if you are a follower of Christ, you love that about God. Why? Because you remember that Thursday night, Christ is going to die on the cross on Friday, but you remember that on Thursday night, something happened major in the garden. Jesus was there pleading with the Father. And He says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup pass from Me. Yet not as I will, but what? Thy will be done. And God's will led Christ to the cross that you could be freed and pardoned. That's suffering. And that was God's will. 
that you wouldn't have to suffer for all eternity. That you could be pardoned of all of your sin. That you could realize that there's a God that even though you may not see and understand and know why all this has happened or why you've had to go through that or why your life looks like it does now, you realize that there is a God whom you can trust who is working all things according to the counsel of His will. I compel you today, don't be like Festus and say, I'll get another opportunity. When I get older, that's when I'll get things right. Or when we have kids, that's when we'll get things right. Or in a few more weeks, when I get out of college in a few years, or when I go, or when I do this or that. The Word of God says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Do not put it off. Do not reject Christ's sacrifice for you and my sins. There is no other hope. No matter what you may have heard, preached, or proclaimed, Paul warns in Galatians 1, he says that if him or even an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, that there is another way to heaven, or that you will be okay apart from Christ, he says let that person be eternally damned. There is only one hope to save anyone here. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ, His life for yours. Reject it not. Today is the day of salvation. Now is your time. Experience the power of God's Holy Spirit, not only setting you free from sin, the penalty of it, but know His power. His Holy Spirit can transform you. His Spirit inside of you can give you hope no matter what you're walking through. He can give you joy and peace. And you can begin to trust that there is a God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Even when you don't understand it or even when you don't like it, That there is a God of love and of grace and of kindness and of mercy. And I compel you today, as 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. Would you respond to Christ today? Would you bow your head just for a moment with me? Father, I pray in this place, in this time now, God, for those who are apart from Christ. God, that just today, the preaching of Your Word, God, You said faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Father, I ask today that You would speak, that You would draw people to You, God. Father, I pray right now that for those that are contemplating tomorrow or later, whether it's a decision about salvation or something else that You're calling them to do, God, I pray that the people of Israel be a reminder Don't scorn this opportunity. Be faithful. Lord, we thank You for Christ. We thank You for His death for our sins. I ask God now that You would give us all greater faith to trust that You're working everything according to the counsel of Your will. Help us even when we don't understand that or even when we don't like it. That God, increase our faith to trust You more. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. This morning, I'd love to talk with you about Christ, Brother Todd, others. Don't leave this place if you don't know. Today is the day of salvation. Scriptures just lay it before us continually. Christ compels us today. 